Welcome to Money Stories with LDT. I'm Linda Davis-Taylor, and this is How Women Invest with Erica Kramer. It's recognizing that women have wealth and we have power be successful as investors. Today on Money Stories, we're joined by Erica Kramer, managing partner with How Women Invest and its gender-lensed early-stage venture fund. With more than 25 years of experience in M&A and capital raising, Erica is an accomplished investment banking executive, advisor, and board member. The venture fund, How Women Invest, is seeking to change the landscape of funding for women investors and entrepreneurs. For background, only 2% of companies founded by women get venture backing, despite the fact that 40% of companies are founded by women and they generate typically 26% greater return than those founded by men. Our conversation will dive deeper into these statistics and peel back the layers on the untapped economic potential that sits at the intersection of women founders and women investors. I'm so delighted today to welcome Erica Kramer to Money Stories. Erica is the managing partner with How Women Invest. We're going to hear a lot more about How Women Invest and a lot more about Erica. Erica, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure to be here with you today, Linda. Well, it's, it's uh, we're, again, I'm just really looking forward to diving in and hearing about um, what you're doing now with your interesting company. But um, I'd like to start money stories really on a more personal basis, if we can, if you can think about this whole question of money and economics and your own wealth and financial health. Do you remember when you first, even as a girl, were aware of money? Did, was it from your family? Did you have any learnings? What's your first recollection of the whole topic? So um, my family, uh, my parents are first uh, are immigrants to this country. So I'm first generation American. And uh, money was not something of abundance in our family. We had enough to, uh, to have a nice lifestyle uh, for my parents to move to a nice house in New Jersey and, and uh, set, a, set my, my brother and I up at school to get a decent education. Uh, I think my first recollections of, of money, you know, were the gifts that I would get from aunts and uncles, mm -hmm. but then um, babysitting and working on the weekends. When I was a teenager, I worked mm -hmm. at a flea market and having that power and independence of my own money and how I could spend it uh, because we didn't have a whole lot of excess mm -hmm. money. My parents right. worked full time. My father actually two jobs really to put us through college. Um, so for, for me, uh, money was uh, access to things mm -hmm. and it gave me a level of independence that I continue to enjoy today. It sounds like you got, certainly you connected that work is one thing that can create money from you got that from your looking at how your parents were living they did it absolutely I had I um, they gave me a tremendous 
a sense of work ethic for sure um, that with hard work, you can get anywhere. Mm -hmm. Well, that's an, such an interesting way to start this conversation, Erica, because I know, because you and I've known each other a bit, that from that beginning, you have advanced to really the most sophisticated levels of finance. I think our listeners should understand now you've had years of experience in investment banking. I mean, that's not the easiest, calmest way to uh, to work in the field. At one point, I know you had you were involved in the most sophisticated transactions, billions and billions of dollars. So how did you get from that girl who was working at a flea market and babysitting to really this most sophisticated level of, of finance? What was the path like? It's all about introductions and network. First, starting with my own mother who worked as a secretary for C-suite executives and would always make sure that I was introduced hmm. to internships. So as young as my senior year in high school, I was working in um, summer internships at a, an insurance company and I was exposed. So having mm -hmm. that exposure to finance and accounting, that drove my desire to want to be a finance major. And I loved my finance classes. For me, it was, it was putting puzzles together. Like it was, and, and it was the early stages of the internet and spreadsheet analysis, mm -hmm. Lotus one, two, three to, to the beginnings of Excel. And I, my most, my favorite courses were uh, mergers and acquisitions and options trading. So wow. I knew I wanted to get into one of those. And, and, and I was the only girl in my finance classes, but I think I just, because I had that exposure of seeing uh, business work and, and how corporations made money and how, uh, how they measured revenue, uh, these were these were tangible, exciting mm -hmm. items for me. So I graduated from college in a recession, uh, not too differently than where we are today, where Wall Street was laying off every all their financial analysts, and no one was hiring. There were hiring freezes all over Wall Street. So I started at a boutique investment bank. And I started out as an administrative assistant. So that was the other great skill I had was learning, you know, knowing how to type and type fast. <laughs> That's <laughs> and, amazing. But I, I uh, quickly worked my way. It was a tiny firm. I was their sixth hire and I worked my way through. Six months later, they, they promoted me to a financial analyst and and that's where my great exposure, I had great mentors hmm. uh, and uh, mentors who gave me a lot of runway uh, and delegate, let me uh, just ex sort of be creative and invent. Um, so creating my own databases and spreadsheets and, and analysis, but really learning, um, learning by fire. <laughs> so it, it was a little bit fortuitous or a lot fortuitous that the entry you had paved a little bit by your mom and those internships had happened to match with your own interest and skill set. Yes. So those two things came together and then you liked it so much and, and had this work ethic that, that you kept going. Absolutely. And the internships, if anything, it, it 
taught me how to be a professional and I and had my parents to um, emulate you know, to, to see you know how they showed up for work dressing properly how they mm -hmm. spoke what their work ethic was like and so have again it's all about exposure which is why it's so important for um, high school students and and uh, college students to have that opportunity mm -hmm. uh, well and, let's let's turn a little more specifically to women because after that uh, career in investment banking, which I think you and I would agree, at least at that point, it was largely men. For sure. You mentioned even starting, you're the only woman in your in your firm, and I'm sure you've been in those situations. Uh, maybe not the only woman, but but rare at the levels that you've been operating. And so today, now you're you're the managing partner of how women invest. So tell us about how women invest goes about its work what's the business model what's the what's the mission and why are you interested in it so it, it's it's a unique model it's different than the way most venture capital firms are set up uh, we are fortunate to be the sister entity to how women lead which is a nonprofit network of 14,000 women. And it's, these are accomplished women all around the globe where um, there are, uh, there's a giving aspect to it, giving to uh, women-owned and, and, and girls-focused uh, nonprofits, uh, supporting women in leadership. So elevating women in all kinds of leadership, whether it be political or corporate, uh, but it's, and it's, it's movement building and awareness. So what my partner, Julie Castro Abrams has learned over her years of being at the CEO of this organization is that women are happier when we are doing things together mm -hmm. and we have a mission and to date it's been predominantly focused on women in corporate boardrooms and making change both legislation wise as mm -hmm. well as uh, creating awareness and and building an ecosystem around it. So uh, my partner Julie was instrumental in changing California state law with Senate Bill 826 in uh, mandating diversity on corporate boards if it's right. ordered in, in California. Six other states have followed that. Then you have Larry Fink who comes out with his letter and Goldman Sachs that says, you know, we're only going to support companies that right. have diversity. So we saw how impactful it can be if you bring network together, you, you uh, engage in awareness, you educate, you train. Uh, so I, the way that Julie and I actually got connected was because I, I had supported some of their board readiness mm -hmm. training programs. And uh, that gave women more confidence that they could do it themselves. I, I would sit in a room, used to be in person, now it's done virtually, but I'd look at this room full of women who were accomplished in their industry sectors, their, their careers, and I said, just because you know, I'm sitting, I sit on a board, but all of you are board ready women and you could take the course or not, but you're ready for it. Mm -hmm. And here are just some simple things to think about as you present yourself. All of that uh, success in that programming has now extended to venture capital landscape. We have a number of women in our network who have been 
um, who are serial entrepreneurs themselves, who have tried to go through the fundraising process uh, on their own, didn't have the network, didn't have the mentorship, didn't have the capital or the resources to see their individual businesses succeed. Some yes, some no, but definitely with struggles. Mm -hmm. and, and the statistics demonstrate that, uh, sadly, that even with all of the years that venture has been its established own asset strategy within private equity, that less than 2% mm -hmm. of venture capital dollars invested with female founders. Whereas so, the, the percentage of female founders is multiples of that, right? In, in terms of new companies being absolutely, founded? Absolutely, absolutely. Since we launched in with our first close in August, and we've been tracking female founders who submit their uh, investment opportunities with us, We've tracked over 150 investment opportunities. These are female, sole female founders, not male female teams. Those have a slightly different metric associated with it. Mm -hmm. And sadly, we've come across a few opportunities whether where a female founder has acknowledged such challenges in raising capital and uh, and support uh, independently that they that she's brought in a male CEO uh, to help uh, you know see their business succeed. And so, that's just since August, 150 new yeah, opportunities yeah. just since August. Wow. Occasionally I'll talk to a venture capital firm that might be run by a male and they'll say, you know, we just can't find many female founders. We just don't see many. And I, it's hard for me to control a chuckle uh, right. because we're being inundated. <laughs> Uh, and, and, and I would attribute that very much to the, a network mm -hmm. of really phenomenal women uh, that really want to see change, just like we wanted to see change in boardrooms. Now we want to see the change in the vet, venture capital system and the innovation economy. Starting with this amazing how women lead and working on leadership opportunities at the corporate board level, and then moving to uh, venture capital. So are you both sourcing the, um, identifying the firms and then matching them up with venture capitalists? Is that is that what you're doing? So, yes and no. So we did create the sister entity, How Women Invest, a for-profit organization. Mm -hmm. So we seek the same investment returns that any other traditional venture capital firm would seek. We launched with Fund One in August. We intentionally designed it as a $10 million fund because under the revision of the Jobs Act that created, uh, that changed the night, what was known as the 99 investor rule, now allows for up to 249 limited partners as long as the fund size is $10 million or smaller. Mm -hmm. I don't know how that design and construct was developed, but it is the framework in which we uh, created access right. to many first-time venture investors and many female accredited investors. And that's the other unique aspect about our fund is that we are predominantly women investors. We have a dozen or so good male investors in our fund, um, but the female investors are very diverse. So many first time, gener you know, many first generation Americans like myself, uh, many, uh, 
successful, accomplished women in, in just about every industry. And I think what we're most proud of is at least when we, when we measured it at, after the first post, over half of the female investors in our fund were women of color. That's fantastic, Erica. And literally we have women, our investors who come to us and they thank us for the work that we're doing and providing access and engaging them in the process. So much of our deal flow does come from our LP base uh, and the networks that they're in. So it's, it's a multiplier effect. It's the LinkedIn um, equation, right. uh, uh, which means that a lot of our deal flow is diverse because our, our investors are diverse by background. Um, and then we ask them to ask uh, to serve as subject matter experts uh, when we come across an investment opportunity that meets our criteria and that we're interested in. So we won't invest in a company unless we have someone within our LP base that could support us in the due diligence and evaluation process. So and really then, all this works together. It's a very integrated approach. It's symbiotic, it's integrated, right. it's collaborative. And then because we're $10 million, it, it's cost prohibitive for us to lead on investment rounds. So we are engaging with VCs around the country uh, that have the same alignment of interest that want to invest in female founders. Uh, often I'll speak with a venture capital firm and it will be male run and, and then they'll recognize, oh, you know, 30% of my companies are founded by women. And you know, now that I think about it, those are the most successful companies in my portfolio. <laughs> so now, they now want that I think more. about it. <laughs> and, and now they want more. And yes, please share your deal flow with us. And uh, so prospectively, they, they would serve as lead investor for investment opportunities that right. we share. So you're really shining a light in so many aspects with your work from beginning with the women and getting them onto corporate boards, which also, of course, impacts the culture, and then your own, uh, you know, your own work and your own fund, and then educating all these other venture capital firms about what they might need, how they might need to have their eyes opened. Absolutely, it, it's an education process for the whole ecosystem, mm -hmm. and we're not alone. We're doing this in collaboration with the there must be at least 75 other gender-lensed funds in the United States. We're members of an organization called Women um, in VC, Women in VC, and there are many emerging female managers that are part of this community. And so we seek to, to support one another and uh, share learnings uh, and, and, and make some change. So on the nonprofit side of the, of the business, again, with How Women Lead, we have a How Women Invest vertical uh, where we're also trained. Nancy Hayes, who's a professor with San Francisco State University, she leads a two-part course on angel investing. Terrific. And so just like we had with board readiness programs, we now have angel investing classes. And we have, we have a goal of educating 
uh, accredited women uh, to be their own investor in venture as angel invest as investors in funds like ours or uh, directly. And mm -hmm. so it's first the, the awareness, building awareness of the power that women have that independence that I mentioned when I was a little right. girl of, of having some money, it's recognizing that women have wealth and we have power to be successful as investors. So it's that whole cycle. It's again, back to, I don't know about you, but so many women with whom I speak of all ages are very clear that they want impact, but some of these steps about how I actually get there are still not that intuitive. We we have female in investors. They're accredited investors. They didn't recognize the fact that they are accredited. What, for tell one. for our <laughs> listeners who may not be familiar with the term. Tell us a little bit more about what that what so, that means and how that works. Right. So the SEC has a definition. The Securities Exchange Exchange Commission has a definition of a, what it means to be accredited investor. And it means that you have, uh, I think it's $200,000 of income or greater, or you ha have assets uh, of a million dollars or more. And uh, they revised the definition of accredited investor last year as well to include those that hold uh, investment licenses like your Series 7, um, or that you're a knowledgeable person because you work at a, an investment mm -hmm. firm. So the definition has expanded. Really, it's targeted to ensuring that there's sophistication around what it means to be an investor and an investor in illiquid classes, asset classes like private equity and venture and hedge funds, um, where liquidity is um, limited uh, and where the strategies might be somewhat sophisticated. In venture, it's obviously the liquidity piece and risk return uh, mm -hmm. investing in a very early stage company uh, for substantial return and acknowledging that you, know, you, you should invest only a portion of your assets right. uh, relative to the size of your entire portfolio. So Erica, everything you've been saying here to me um, resonates with one of my interests, which is the need for ongoing financial education at whatever level we all need it. Again, you, we started the conversation from you're a young girl, you get your first job, you go to college, you take classes, you picked a certain career path, but uh, we all have these lifelong pathways and relationship with money, whether it's at the, at the level you were speaking as a, as a, as a really uh, person of wealth, woman of wealth who can make these venture capital investments and impact directly the world or somewhere along the way you know, as an entrepreneur who's seeking capital as, as all, all along the way. Just do you have any thoughts given um, all of the ways you've seen how finance works and been an educator, if you will, um, any, any, any thoughts about financial education, whether it's from our, what our schools do or don't do, or uh, Wall Street, just about that topic. I know it's talked about a lot, but no one seems to crack the code about how to exactly go about it. Uh, yeah, I think we have the power of information from so many sources, whether it comes from your trusted wealth advisor 
whether it comes from your husband, your spouse, your partner. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I, I think there's some, you know, there's just inherent biases in the system. And now the husband or the father takes care of all the money, money and, and the wife just, you know, does other things, right? Um, that needs to change. Um, there are some studies that even though this, this country wealth, half the wealth of, the, of this country is or will be controlled by women, um, the allocations of portfolios are much more risk averse for female clients than they have been for male clients. And I, I've, I've been lucky enough that I'm in an industry where I've been exposed and educated and, and my clients money being money managers. And that's why I loved what I did because I've learned from experts in the industry. But my thought was, well, if it could work for an institutional investor to have this kind of portfolio allocation, why can't I have the same uh, risk return objectives and access to the same investment products as a high net worth individual or a retail uh, investor for that? So it's, it's about education across the board and, you know, even having open discussions at home, uh, my husband's father was a money manager and my husband manages money. Um, but we, we sort of divide and conquer. You can't be expert in everything. Um, so my husband's real estate guy, I'm venture girl, you know, they, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but, but we have a lot of fun building it together and we're trying to educate our daughters as well, what it means to own a stock and how you can make impact. You care about this value or that value. Um, well, what, what, uh, stocks and bonds, uh, reflect that that uh, value system that we have in our family. So ha- it starts at home, just like my mother used to say, charity always starts at home. Uh, so does the education of money and what you do with it and how you manage it and how you invest it. Uh, um, your daughters are so fortunate to have you being so knowledgeable and of course the whole family where you've already created this open dialogue about the topic, whatever their career interests turn out to be, just for those who might not be as connected with money or might not even feel as confident about even how to start those conversations. And I'm sure you're asked this by your own friends who are outside the money business and and see, they know how knowledgeable you are. What do you say to some, what do you say to a woman who says, okay, I get it. I need to be more connected with this. Where do I start? What do you yeah, say? Yeah, I think that we have so many more resources today than ever, whether it be taking an online class at, with your community college or whether it be talking to your wealth advisor and asking them you know, what kind of resources, things to read, just watching you know, Bloomberg television and, and mm-hmm. listening uh, to how the markets operate. Uh, there, I, I don't know that there's any publication that doesn't have some tie to money. And now with FinTech, there are just so many applications that you could have on your iPhone that gamify it almost, right? So, mm-hmm. or actually do, not almost. They, it actually gamifies um, what it means to invest and uh, 
and and just being exposed, taking a little bit of risk, taking control of it, not like mm-hmm. necessarily just leaving it in other people's hands. And and like anything, it's like learning a new language, you know, or learning how to cook a new recipe. You, you, right. How else do you learn? Right. Yeah. So your your message is most of us, we have the ability to learn. However, whatever the avenue is that we learn best, whether it's reading or visual or talking to people or taking a class, it's just that this is a topic like so many others in our lives that we can't afford not to be engaged with it. Absolutely. I had had a very dear aunt. Uh, Her husband worked for a bank and my uncle worked for a bank. And so money was always left in his control. He passed away and she she had no children and she knew her niece was in finance um, but she made it her her mission to learn what was happening to her money and how it was being managed and with some guidance and you know making sure that no one was going to take advantage of right. her and churn the account you know that those are fears that you have to build trust uh, and and build a network around yourself of trusted advisors uh, and and um, talk about what your goals and objectives are. Yeah, and you touched on something you mentioned your niece that um, sometimes, sometimes, I don't wanna generalize, but sometimes we women feel more comfortable in starting perhaps a new topic with other women. Sometimes it's just a little bit easier to ask those questions. You want to be in a safe room, right? So mm-hmm. much easier to be in a room full of women. And we're seeing that evolve today with, with our major wirehouses and, and investment banks and um, wealth management firms. Right. We're seeing more women in wealth management uh, with a focus on, well, the same application of educating and investing isn't the same approach for for their male clients as it should be for female clients. Well, certainly it is coming full circle here in this conversation, everything that you're doing with, you know, your company and, and, and even, as you mentioned, with your own family really points to more opportunity, more, more wealth building opportunities, more financial uh, competence and confidence for women. And so I know that our listeners are going to want to look, learn a little bit more, a lot more about you and about how women invest. So just remind us how we can find you out there. Sure. Uh, HowWomenInvest.com is our website. How Women Lead is the nonprofit and my partner, Julie, and her team and the volunteers that support the organization we make it so engaging. There's There are events every week uh, and just being in a room, a Zoom room full of, of women that have similar goals, objectives, mission, and, and a desire to want to network and grow and learn uh, is, is what makes it so very beautiful and special. We, we kick off the She Sessions uh, this week and it's all about how do we change the demographics of women in the workforce and ensure that we can continue this cycle of wealth where women create their own wealth and then they invest it forward. Wonderful, wonderful mission and message, Erica. And, you know, I know so many of us who have known you in your life as a, as an investment banker. And again, so many levels are so 
grateful to you for taking this turn with your career and your interest in, in, in this way. And the world needs you. So thank you so much for doing it. And thank you very much for joining Money Stories today. Thank you very much, Linda. You're doing wonderful work and important work. Thank you. Thank you again. Want more Money Stories? Check out my Instagram at Linda Davis Taylor underscore LDT to learn more about our incredible lineup of guests and share your own money story. Until next time, 